0: You are listening to the Hiking Radio Network, where we talk the walk with shows by hikers about hikers for everybody.
2: Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis, Join Steve and his guests every week as he staggers from Georgia to Maine.
3: Hi, everyone. Thanks again for coming back to Mighty Blue on the Appalachian Trail, the ultimate midlife crisis. Once again, my name is Ryan Hopkins or JR on the trail. I'm filling in again for Steve or Mighty Blue. Don't worry, though. Steve will be on later in the show when he catches up with Phoenix, who is on the trail right now. Our guest today, Zach Hoops or Relish, just really fantastic guy. I was really excited to get to chat with him. I think he has great insights on the world of long-distance backpacking. I want to say up front, though, I know that uh, his hiking experience leans a little more towards the West Coast, which is not always what we go for on the show. But I do think it's very relatable. And the asterisk that I want to put next to it as well is that Zach is from Virginia, and he'll share a little bit of this, but he kind of honed his craft and kind of fell in love with backpacking on the AT in Virginia, one of the stories that we chatted about was, you know, getting up before class when he was a student at Virginia Tech and going out to uh, different parts of the Triple Crown to uh, get those done before before coming back to class. So while uh, Zach will primarily talk about some of his West Coast hikes and his uh, PCT hike, um, I do know at his core, the Appalachian Trail is important to him and uh, a trail that he thinks very fondly of. So That's our guest today, and without any further ado, we will get on with it. So, here is Zach. All right, we're on with Zach Hoops, or Relish. How are you doing today, Zach? I'm doing great, Ryan. Stoked to talk to you. Right on, right on. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, So, I'm really excited to talk with you today. One of the things that you said at our last conversation that really stuck with me was you consider yourself the friendliest ultralighter on the trail, and I think that is amazing, and hilarious so we will get to that um in just a bit but before we go any further would you want to share more about how you got the trail name relish
1: yeah sure um well so i've struggled with my my identity for my 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 trail name for quite some time i actually am one of those people that came up with it myself i'm like one of those i uh was on I'd say it like my third through-ish hike. It was 100 miles, uh, a self-created route through Olympic National Park. And I was, you know, just in my head thinking about, wow, I've started hiking a lot. Like, what do I want to start introducing myself as? And I thought relish was a really cool kind of like double meaning word because I do really like pickles and everything relishy, but it also was like going to be a constant reminder to me um, to savor all of the struggles that come with through hiking. And so halfway through this like hundred mile long hike, I stopped at the Olympic park, uh, Olympic national park visitor center. And someone like saw all my gear. It was sprawled out all over the place cause it rained the previous night. So I was trying to dry it out and people were like asking me questions and they were like, what's your name? And I just tried it on. I was like, I'm relish. And then from there it just kind of kept going and going. So I'm like one of the people that created my own name. Um, but as we'll probably get to uh, somewhere down the line, usually when I'm hiking, I don't see a ton of people. So I don't um, uh, have as many opportunities to try on trail names or get them from other people as other people might have. So that's actually the like kind of unexciting story of where my trail name comes from.
3: Well, I, I certainly can't say anything because I have kind of given myself a trail name as well. And I think it's as long as it's meaningful to you, that's all that matters. But, you know, when you first said that it was a self-created route on that hike, I was like, there's no way you're even going to see any other people to give you any sort of trail name. So I think that, you know, you, you may have hiked hundreds of miles before you even saw a person, let alone got a name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how it goes. You you go through like the, the kind of front country areas where there's the, those established campsites and there's a bunch of people, but I just usually kind of cruise right by them and wave and say, what's up. But yeah it wasn't quite a through hiking trail so um yeah that that is the the origin of the name
3: right on well I, i'm excited to hear about some of those more unique hikes but before we get into that um it would be awesome just to hear some about your first experiences with hiking and long-distance backpacking and um kind of where you found that original interest and, and love for it
1: yeah well maybe to start so i have completed I think five or six now, what I would consider long trails. I don't think there's an operative definition that everyone agrees on, but a hundred plus mile trails. Um, The Pacific Crest Trail being kind of the crowning jewel of that and all the other ones hovering around a hundred to 300 miles. Um, And uh, I fell in love with backpacking. I went to Virginia Tech and we were 25 minutes from the AT for all the people that have hiked the AT or hiked the Virginia section. They know of the the iconic stops of Dragon's Tooth and McAfee's Knob. Um, and those were like day hikes at Virginia Tech. And so I went to college and was doing those on a regular basis and um, wasn't actually big into hiking going into college, but I had friends that were big into hiking and they started getting me going. And then I was like, wow, I really, really like hiking. Um, and then I started doing a little bit more aggressive um, day hiking things. And then found myself in the YouTube rabbit hole of of hiking and then quickly found my way to through hiking. My big YouTube inspirations were John Z, John Zahorian, who hiked the PCT, and Nemor, who did, I believe, the AT and the PCT and, like, vlogged all of them. And I just became obsessed with kind of how hardcore and how epic that was to go hiking for multiple months. And so I watched those and then you know, bought my own college-grade backpacking gear out out, out like Walmart and went out on the AT for a few nights, had lots of misadventures and complete failures. Um, But yeah. And then from there I really decided I wanted to be able to call myself a through hiker. That was like a big thing. I was like, I wanted to be able to say I'm a through hiker. And so right after college, but before my first job, I tried to find the like most, practical with like no money as a college grad and very little time. I had like two weeks. I was like, what is a trail that I can go through hike? So I found the Washita trail that runs, I think it's like 210 miles through Oklahoma and Arkansas. And I went out and did that. Uh, And that was like my first through hike. And so I felt super accomplished after that. And then I was like, all right, I'm a through hiker. But the ambitions, as we'll talk about, only grew. So that was my first through hike. And that was a complete debacle. I'm surprised I still love hiking after that. Um, But uh, yeah, that is kind of the origin story of Relish's backpacking extravaganzas.
3: Well, you know, being from Virginia myself, I'm always excited to hear, you know, people kind of finding their way to hiking and challenging themselves through the AT and then especially the, you know, Southern Virginia section of it. So I w- when we first connected, I was really excited to to hear that. And it is a really special place on the trail. You know, I feel like that section just draws in people from a variety of places and college students and kids and older folks. I mean, it's just like a really uh, almost like melting pot right in there. So just to hear that as part of your your backstory was, was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that
1: that's that's where I was born and it, yeah. or where my backpacking was born. Yeah, with a Teton backpack that weighed I don't know how much. And yeah, all sorts of horror stories, but <laughs> great times.
3: And I, and I feel like too, you know, especially around the Appalachian Trail, a lot of times when you, I don't know, when you see folks that have a lot of experience in backpacking, you know, they've done it since they were a kid and they were in Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts or their parents did it or fill in the blank, right? And so, I mean, as someone who kind of came into it, Later in, not later in life, but just like didn't have that kind of developmental year experience with it. Development, developmental years experience with it. Um, it is a good reminder that you know we can always kind of learn and take on new new challenges whenever.
1: It's never too late to go backpacking. <laughs> always go backpacking.
3: <laughs> perfect, perfect. Well, you know, transitioning from there, you know, you spoke about your first through hike, you know in the misadventures of that, when did stuff start to kind of start clicking for you as far as like your style and for, for folks just to know, you know, I think I would say that your style is very ultralight, very minimal, very fast. i a have big focus on hiking um, and not so much the camping. How did that evolve from those that first through hike to where uh, you are now?
1: That's a great question. I, I think my, my real inspiration is Andrew Skirka. And I think anyone who's been around the backpacking community is probably familiar with him but he's something of the godfather of ultralight ultra long distance backpacking he's pioneered multiple high routes in the Rockies and in California he's he put the, together the Great Western Route Loop which is like 4600 miles connects the CDT the PCT uh the PNT and like a self-created route to do this massive loop through the southwest he did like six months in in alaska but i really latched onto his blog and his books i mean anything that he writes or says i just consumed like it was gospel and so i really and that was from the very beginning and so i never really knew a slower heavier more i would like camping forward style of backpacking skirka was always about just going light as far and light and fast as he could um and that was just kind of my normal as I picked it up. So there was like that 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 kind of sense just imbued it. So my first through hiking, I still kind of had what I think a lot of people would call something of a standard kit. I had a backpack with an internal frame. I had a double walled tent with, a, with um, poles, like something of a very standard kit. I, I, I didn't uh, cold soak. I had a stove. So very similar to what most people would carry. I think it was like 14 pounds base weight or something. Um, and uh, so I was kind of there. And then I was thinking as I began to look West, the, the Tahoe room trail was my next trail. I was thinking about starting to like inch towards going lighter because the weight had been something that had bothered me. I keep pretty meticulous notes on my hikes and I like to note down even the smallest like inconveniences and difficulties that I feel like I can alleviate. So the weight was like one of the big things. I was like, I just don't want all this weight on my back. And so I started kind of thinking, well, like, what's the next step to going closer to light? And I was starting to think about um, like a single walled shelter where the trekking poles, you know, provided the frame of of the tent. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like shove it all the way kind of to the extreme because I don't have enough money to like take another step of, you know, $2,000 $2,000 or whatever into the, like, semi-light, the lightweight, and then go to ultralight if I want to do that. So I was like, I'm just going to go all the way to, like, the super nitty-gritty, and then if it's too hardcore, I'll dial back. But I think I'll just, like, you know, sink or swim, I think I'll swim. And sure enough, so I went with a frameless pack. I went with a tarp. And, again, misadventures, especially with the tarp. The first night out was a disaster. But, um, yeah, I, like, haven't looked back since. So that's kind of, like, how... It evolved but i've kind of always been in the the headspace of like light and fast
3: i think that's great and i think you know everyone's kind of on a spectrum in some capacity with that right of carrying less gear I don't, I don't think well maybe someone but not a lot of people are out there going how can i carry more weight and go slower right you know so i think that wherever you fall on that is is a worthy pursuit now you you mentioned earlier your um pacific crest trail attempt um and through height completion do you want to share more? Because, I mean, there was a lot of characteristics about that hike. I thought I, I followed along with it. I thought were very unique as far as going southbound and how quick you did it, the time of year you did it.
1: Yeah, the PCT was kind of my, like I said, the the, the biggest through hike today. I definitely have aspirations of becoming a triple crowner. Um, my life will, I'll have missed some goals significantly if I don't end up on that list. Um, but yeah, the, the PCT was uh, 2018. I had a job that was ending in May, and just like the AT, northbounders on the PCT start like March, April, and I was just working through then, but a southbound through hike worked great for me, so uh, I hung out for a few months and then hopped on the trail in June, and uh, yeah, I didn't really have any goals to hike it fast. I ended up hiking it in 109 days, which I think is averaging something like 24, 25 which when you take out zeros, you know, and in, in, in trail days, I, I think an average day on trail for me was like the low to mid thirties. Um, yeah. Southbound hike. It was very, I started super late. I started July like 19th, I think, which is like very late uh, for southbounders. Um, and so I was already, I was having to keep moving. And then I just kind of never took my foot off the gas and uh, had a great hike. It was a very, a hike filled with solitude, I think a lot of through hikes. I think I have kind of the extreme solitude example of what it is to be a through hiker because a southbound PCT hike is already pretty quiet and I started with kind of no one on the trail and then I kind of cruised by the southbound bubble and to to try and make it before the snow started falling. Um, and so I had a lot of time, I think I probably only spent about 20 nights in camp with other people. Otherwise probably wow. another 90 were alone. Um, I think that's probably the best, the best number that I can put on, you know, but significant, multiple stretches where I would only see one person a day or something like that. So it was filled with solitude. It was beautiful. I loved it. Uh, I got to the end and wanted to keep going and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to go, trying to end, end up on some long trail sometime soon.
3: That's that's so great. I mean, does that aspect, you know, a lot of people are drawn to various long distance trails and obviously the AT for that community, you know, bubble experience uh for the first, you know, bit of the trail, you're surrounded by dozens and dozens of people every night. Is that something that appeals to you? You're indifferent about?
1: Man, once you get used to having the wilderness to yourself, <laughs> seeing other people becomes kind of kind of annoying if it happens too regularly. So I think I've kind of been spoiled. Um, But backpacking for me has never been firstly about the community. I think trail culture is beautiful and wonderful and amazing, but I I wouldn't say I go to the mountains for it. Um, I've gone, I I like to find my own limits physically and mentally. And I, I do believe that you find those limits more quickly on your own when you only have yourself to rely on you you find the spaces of where you're really maxing out your own mental and physical capacity. Um, and I also think it differentiates the trail from normal life more when it's more quiet because normal life is filled with a lot of commotion. Whereas the more quiet the trail is, the more different it is. So the more unique it is from regular life. So I've always kind of felt I have something of a spirit of like Thoreau and Walden or Muir. um, It just like I go to the mountains to be with myself and to be with them. And I love trail culture. Like I wouldn't trade trade it for the world, but it's not the first thing that I go for. And I think I'm again, we were talking kind of about spectrums again. I'm kind of on this extreme side of the the solitude of the spectrum. So I like my solitude punctured by a little bit of community as opposed to community punctured by a little bit of solitude. I think it's a fair way to characterize it. That makes sense. Yeah, does it?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I mean, I, I'm obviously fascinated by all sorts of long distance trails. And um, I know that our listeners are really curious about them, too. So there's obvious changes and differences between hiking on the eastern part of the U.S. and hiking in the western part. But just kind of off the top of your head, maybe some that people wouldn't think about. Obviously, elevations are different. Vistas are different. But what were some of the um, differences in backpacking between the two regions?
1: That's a good, great question. So a practical one is water is easier to find on the East coast. There's just water all the time. Whereas on the West coast, there's plenty of water early season when there's snow still melting in the mountains, but late season, you know, uh, the last month on the PCT, like a 20 mile water carry was kind of par for the course, which is a bummer. (laughs) That's a lot of water. Um, there's, so water is more scarce. Um, and yeah, elevation changes are, of course, different. But the biggest thing is the weather on the East on the east Coast and the West Coast is uh, the Rockies kind of split the difference. But on the West Coast during the summer, there's just almost no rain um, uh, on my PCT through hike. I had one day of real rain and two days of kind of like a light drizzle. Uh, so I cowboy camped pretty much every single night on the PCT just with no concern and couldn't be more different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. awesome. You you get so spoiled, you're like, I don't need any rain gear. It's it's whatever. Um yeah, that that's the biggest thing that I think affects and then I haven't spent a ton of time, but bug season on the West Coast is bad, but it's also like kind of short. Like it's kind of maybe a month long where the snow melts, the bugs come out, the bugs die and they're done. Whereas I think they just kind of are perennial on for an East Coast summer. So Right. Yeah.
3: Well, before we move on from that hike, because I mean, that is a, a great accomplishment. Is there any like I know that some days probably felt kind of mundane. Some days were probably really memorable. Are there any memories that really kind of jump to your mind, the forefront of your mind, you know, when you're reminiscing on that hike or days that really stood out?
1: Yeah, I mean, was, a lot of them are there. There's definitely some days of supreme misery that one day that was raining the one real day i was hiking around mount adams i think it was in washington and it was my first 40 mile day and i was like so stoked i was like i'm gonna pull the 40 today i've never done that before and then it started hailing like i don't know around 2 p.m and it just hailed and hailed and i was just bunched up again i didn't have that much rain gear so i was bunched up under this pine tree for two hours um and then at the end of the day, I ended up getting shin splints from having walked too far. Oh my gosh! And spent the next four days in uh, like a uh, six-building town called Trout Lakes, Washington, uh, recovering from some some shin splints. So if you're That's gonna pull big miles, you gotta warm up to them. <laughs> Um, and then there's so many of like human kindness. I, I walked in some subway and a guy was just like, hey, are you hiking the PCT? And I obviously smelled like I was hiking the PCT. So I'm <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, let me buy you lunch. And I'm like, wow. You know, uh, human kindness. I feel like I owe the u- universe a lot. And I owe I owe a lot of hitches to a lot of people. So I, <laughs> my debt is great. But I keep on picking up people to whatever I see them. I'm like, I owe I owe some hitchhikes um let's see there are just a few really big moments i like crested over uh fire creek pass over on glacier peak in washington it was just like so gorgeous it was just kind of like one of those moments where maybe you just feel a little bit transcendent where you're like this is this is true happiness right here at this moment Um just like the sun setting and the all of the peaks in in the background um man i I had so many it's a tough question to to answer but we'll leave it there for the sake of the podcast
3: (laughs) that's so great and um we'll obviously put your your youtube and website information in the um in the description in the show notes but a lot of great photos and you do a great job of uh documenting your hike as well as um, you have a guide for it as well is that right
1: yeah i did i was i was kind of surprised as i planned to go southbound that there weren't you know more resources dedicated to southbound through hikes and a lot of them seem kind of haphazard or old. And um, I put a ton of work into my resupply plan. And I was like, tons of people hike this. Why isn't there one that's just out of the box, ready to rock and roll? Why am I piecing together five websites? And so <laughs> I just went and put a guy together and put a resupply plan together that I update every year um, just to help out nice. Sobos. So, yeah. right
3: on. Well, you know, another thing on your website that I I really appreciated was under the gear section. I think this goes back to, you know, friendliest ultralighter. The first rule of gear is basically, you know, don't bring it up unless you're asked about it. (laughs) And um, I think that's just fantastic. Just across the board, I think we all can probably benefit from that. But I'm going to ask you about it right now. So feel free to talk about it. (laughs) But it it would be, you know, since you do have a very unique style, um, it would be great to just hear a little bit more about your gear philosophy and then... I I mean, personally, I'd like to hear this, but like just sometimes some gear really saved the day and sometimes gear like really let you down.
1: Bombed. Um, Yeah, yeah, I, I think I try to bring, we'll call it a human approach to gear, that like gear is a means to the end. And to that effect, it's not that interesting. So like it's just an easy way for us to split hairs and kind of build Kind of in groups and out groups on trail. And it's just to me completely unimportant is like gear should help serve the function of bringing you like a safe and pleasant through hike. And, and once you've nailed that in, whatever your preferences for gear are great, let's all, let's all move on and let's talk about more interesting things. Um, I think a lot of people tend to get a little bit preachy about gear and I, as someone who exists on the extreme of the spectrum, just for reference, like my PCT thru-hike, my base weight was like 7.4 pounds or something. Oh, so wow. I'm pretty far on, on the end of the spectrum. Um, but like no one wants to know my base weight. Like no one's interested. And so I should probably just withhold that. So yeah, I, I one of my philosophies on trail was like only talk about your gear when you're asked for it. And then you end up talking about it a lot less. And as a result, I did get a few comments i didn't actually self-style this but i got it from a few other hikers that were like wow you're the friendliest ultralighter (laughs) i've ever met because like your pack's (laughs) tiny but you don't ever mention that your pack is tiny and i'm like well thanks (laughs) yeah so uh, i I try to be a little bit human about it and then i try to think a lot about yeah that what what i call the weight trade-off equation which is uh for every additional pound that you add to your pack you're adding less utility, or it's becoming less useful. And uh, yeah, I have this on my website where I talk a lot, of, uh, talk a bit about it. But basically, as you you add weight, you're adding what is less and less essential and more and more of a want. Right? You're, you're transitioning from the needs to the wants for most people, probably somewhere in the like 12 to 14 pound range. Um, and all I, 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 there's no right decision to be made here. Every individual has their own hiking style and has, their needs are all very different. Like you might have more camp needs than I do. Right. I might consider camps shoes very much a want, but with your style of backpacking and how much time you're spending in camp or where you're camping, you might consider that something essential but i just encourage something of like critical thinking to bring to 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 gear and then for every person there's a specific place on this curve that i've imagined where uh the the functionality of the gear begins to be less than the pain of the weight that it adds um yeah that's like a little bit of i think about gear and coming from the west coast it's easy to shred a lot of weight because we have great weather because the bugs die because there's no rain um like it's easy to not have to deal with a lot of, I think, some of the weight that on the East Coast you might have to bring additionally. Someone will disagree with that, and there's lots of nuances <laughs> there. Um, it gets colder on the West Coast, right? There's more exposure, whatever. But generally, I had to carry a five ounce rain jacket for the whole PCT. Like, <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> that's not what I'd be carrying on the AT. It'd be a very different situation. Yeah, that's like a little bit how I think about gear. Oh and then gear and then you mentioned some yeah, gear yeah. stories. Yeah, so, yeah, of
0: course.
1: I mean, when gear goes well, I don't think about it. That's the whole point. But when gear goes poorly, then it's like, wow. So, I think uh my my two biggest debacles were on my first Drew hike. I um decided again, I was I was kind of in this minimalist mindset. I was like, "You know what? You just kind of rough things." So, I just went and got some really minimalist like light marina wool sock liners for my socks for this 200 mile trail. And by about 40 miles in, I was building blisters. And by like the fifth day, I had worn multiple holes in both pairs of socks. And I just had that. It was a comedic level of blisters if it wasn't so painful. But I I probably had a dozen blisters on both feet and my toes were just I mean, I was spending 30 to 40 minutes every morning just wrapping my toes up and trying to keep them safe and much to my chagrin it didn't work well um so post that i was like okay that's definitely not backpacking is not fun if it's that painful uh (laughs) so i transitioned to nginjis to toe socks which are a beautiful fashion statement uh if you're not on the nginji train
3: (laughs) oh i've been there i've been there i swear by them they changed everything yeah this is and this is not sponsored by them we just love them is not i just
1: love them so yeah i I wear nginjis and then i have like really long toes. So I, I dig ultras for the large toe box. So they, that lets my toes sprawl out. So that, that fixed that whole thing. Um And then the second one, which is pretty funny, kind of making fun of my ultralight status is I did move to a Z pack seven by nine Cuban flap tarp for all of my West coast adventures, which the tarp weighs like, I think under six ounces. So it's literally nothing. And it's <laughs> Awesome. Uh, to have your shelter weigh like six ounces. But the first night I was on the Tahoe Rim Trail, first night I had taken this thing out, it started hailing. My life, there, there's just a lot of stories about hail. There's but, a lot of hail involved, yeah. <laughs> um, it started hailing with me and my buddy. So we were like, all right, well, we got to pitch pitch camp early. And um, we were on this like really sandy flat. Uh, and I spent probably 40 minutes trying to get my, my tent stakes to stay because... Flat tarps require tension to hold them up, whereas you know, a freestanding tent can is the tension's internal. But I I needed ground that was strong enough to hold these stakes in place, and I couldn't find any. So I spent like forty minutes, you know, piling big rocks, going and grabbing them, and I was just soaked to the core. And my buddy in his one person tent was like happy as a clam, and he was just kind of laughing at me. And I was, I was borderline uh, like. By the time I got my sleeping bag, I was extremely cold, but I was like, wow, that is that is just karma because i had pitched it maybe 10 times in my backyard and i was like ah it'll be fine and then the first night out the 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 flat tarp was was a disaster i've carried <laughs> it every single night since i think so but uh i i didn't turn my back on it but that was a, a an epic gear, gear failure as well
3: another very memorable one yeah <laughs> for Learned sure lessons from those yeah well right on well um you've you talked a little bit about some some bigger mile days and some of some unfortunate endings but overall you know your pct um kind of average mileage was was pretty high so you know sparing people all of the maybe you know they're not quite ready to convert to the super ultralight mindset but they are interested in getting more miles out of their day how would you go about giving advice or helping people with that
1: yeah totally i mean i think there's there's something to be said for if you can move faster, you can see more remote places, or you can spend less on food, or like there, there, there are definitely a few pragmatic advantages to moving a little bit faster um, without going ultralight. Uh, I, I think there are a few rules that I abide by that I definitely preach, and I do have uh, a video on my YouTube channel which you can check it out. Relish hikes where I actually dive into some of these tips, um, but I think the the big one that I practice consistently is just trying to be out of camp uh as the sun rises and then in camp only when the sun sets which is really just talking about extending your hiking day it's very hard to make additional miles by going faster that's just like not a great place to spend your time worrying of can i hike physically faster can i start getting something of like a a jog going no that's that's like not the way to put in bigger miles the way to put in bigger miles is to to um is definitely just to extend the hiking day. So my my philosophy on the PCT was at dusk. So whenever it was kind of, it was light outside, but the sun was below, then I was kind of in camp and figuring my stuff out. And then if I could see the sun, I was was hopefully backpacking. Um, If that's too extreme, like you can just, you can shrink that (laughs) philosophy down a little bit and be like, okay, well, I want to, I want to hike, you know, and 30 minutes after the sun comes up or, or whatever. Um, pragmatically, I'm a huge fan of getting out of camp early. Like you can only put in so miles if you're in camp so many miles a day, if you're in camp till 10 AM. Um, another big thing I was big on was, um, getting out of camp within about 20 to 25 minutes of getting up. I just got up, put everything in my backpack. My pop tart was waiting for me for breakfast and I was like hiking while I was eating. So, Um, That's another big thing. A cold breakfast really saves you because a hot breakfast just takes a lot of time by the time you heat water, reconstitute, eat it, and then put everything away and then put everything on top of it. That's just a, a long process. So that's that's a. Not necessarily going cold soaking or getting rid of your stove entirely, but thinking about either skipping coffee. I love coffee, but I don't drink it on trail. Skipping the coffee or skipping the oatmeal. Um, because truthfully, the best way to get warm anyway on a cold morning is to start to start walking. So, um, yeah, those are big ones that I abide by. It's just like try to get out of camp early. Um, and then sometimes I also advocate hiking slower. Uh, hike it like a sustainable pace that you don't need to take breaks if you're hiking faster but then you need to take breaks breaks and end inevitably end up being really long you take that like two minute break that ends up being a five minute break and then you've sat down and now it's 15 minutes later and then your your miles per hour is getting crushed so hike a little bit slower but hike at a pace that you can walk for an hour and a half without stopping is another way to, to keep the miles up so those are a few things that i practiced a lot on the pct and on all of my subsequent hikes that i think are tactical
3: yeah i think those are pretty reasonable too i mean i've even started um you know thinking critically about even the meals right like if you can eat a breakfast and a lunch that doesn't involve a stove or even a lot of preparation it, it makes a big difference and then like you said you can only have so many daylight hours in the day like that then you should be using hiking and you, when you first hear people think about wanting to go fast they do kind of have that thought of should I be jogging? Should I be really hustling? But it's like, that's not really where you're going to see the long term changes in it. So I think that makes a ton of sense.
1: Yeah. And it's much safer on your joints. Trying to hike four (laughs) miles an hour is going to you're going to get crushed. Don't do it.
3: Yeah. Just hike longer. Awesome. Well, another um, thing that I wanted to uh, talk with you uh, today is about just the variety of types of well, not types, but just different trails you've done that may not be as um, well known or is popular. So, if you want to go through some of those hikes that you've done, I know they're listed on your website. Um, but outside of the PCT, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah. So I started with the Washita Trail through Oklahoma and Arkansas, 200 miles, and then that was in 2017. And then 2018, I did the Tahoe Rim Trail, which goes around like Tahoe in California. And then I did the what I call the Olympic National Park Traverse, which was my 100 mile trip through olympic national park um and then i went and did the wonderland trail which is 93 miles that goes around um oh boy goes around the big mountain <laughs> in washington <laughs> you
3: didn't uh, know this is gonna be a pop but, quiz did you
1: I, it's been too long um wow what is the webs or what is the
3: uh not mount near? Rainier.
1: there it is oh yeah <laughs> yeah so uh the wonderland trail goes 93 miles around mount rainier uh and that was all so those three hikes were all Hiking season before I got on the PCT. So that was kind of the way I was able to be cruising. As I hit the PCT was, I already had like 500 miles under my legs. So that summer, then I went and hit the PCT. And then this past summer, 2020, I went and did the Sierra high route, which, um, you know, high routes are a little bit different from trails because the, the mileage can be a little bit different from person to person, but we did about 200 miles, um, on the Sierra high route and a little bit of an extension. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the the trajectory.
3: Yeah, well, I I think there's a, a ton of information that you've kind of gathered about these hikes, which I think is awesome. And I know I, I keep saying it, but it is on your website and um, it's a great place to start if anyone's curious about these trails. But um, I'd love for you to share about how you research these trips, like kind of starting at zero and especially, you know, not having a huge background in backpacking. It's only been a few years since you've gotten interested in it. Um, What's some kind of research advice uh, for someone who's thinking about tackling a new trail, or maybe they are, you know, have only ever hiked the Appalachian trail or around the East coast. And they're really curious about a new trail. What advice would you have for them for researching and preparing?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I think this is another kind of place where I pick a fight with our, our, Kind of this the gear centric conversation because it always strikes me how little we know about the conditions that we're facing and how little part of the conversation that is and yet we're all talking about what's the most recent you know UL backpack or the best rain jacket or shoes or or, or whatever it is and um, this kind of sentiment also comes from Skirka who's really big on getting really methodical about the conditions that you plan to face. Because ultimately, right, the, ray, the right gear doesn't exist in every place, right? The, the the right sleeping bag for the AT in March is not the same sleeping bag as uh, the High Sierras in California in in July. Um, and so our, our gears should be condition-specific. And I think that, yeah, we I, I spend a lot of time ahead of – um, my through hikes and ahead of buying gear, knowing, figuring out, researching what conditions I should face be- or am going to face because that should inform the gear that I choose to buy, right That's pretty simple. So I spend a lot of time on uh, thinking about, as we've talked about, sunrise and sunset is a big one is how many hours of daylight will I have? Um, what temperatures can I face? what's the average? What's the daily high? What's the daily low? How much precipitation can I, will I be facing? If there's going to be standing snow, how much standing snow is there still? Um, if there's going to be more snow, how much snow can I expect? Um, what's the elevation like? What is the wind going to be like? These are all things that matter and should inform if I choose to bring a wind shirt or if I should you know, get something beefier. Uh, so the big one there that I think Probably the, the the two biggest numbers is getting your average precipitation. It's like knowing if you're going to face seven inches of rain a month or half an inch of rain a month. That is like changes your experience dramatically. And then the big the other big one is temperature. Is it going to be an average low of fifty two at night or is it going to be an average low of twenty seven? Like that should that'll make a difference. And same thing during the day. Um. So yeah, I have a um again a video on my web on my uh, YouTube that is dedicated to going through kind of the technicalities of how I find these numbers. But I go to the National Climactic Data Center website and actually pull long-range historical norms. Um, and I'll spare us the details here because you can easily- <laughs> Find yeah. them. But you can go look and see what has been the average temperature at in that video. I think my example is Yosemite Valley, but in, like anywhere over the States, you can go see what has been the average temperature for any month, um, what's been the average low at night. And then that tells you what to expect. Because intuitively, you might not know what's the average low temperature in North Carolina in April. Like you might not know that. And you might go on Reddit and people are like it's cold and rainy. And it's like, okay, well, that's kind of helpful. But it's also kind of like off the cuff. Let uh, let, let me find some harder data. Um, yeah, so I try and go and find that kind of information. Um, again, yeah, Andrew Skirker's blog is, is beautiful. And it's a super great resource for doing this kind of in-depth research as well, um, but then you can build gear that a gear kit that is primed for that for those particular conditions, and then you can go lighter, right? Like if you can achieve the same same outcomes with a ten-pound base weight instead of a fourteen-pound base weight, well like great, you won. Like if you didn't pack the rain pants you didn't need, awesome. If you did pack them and you didn't need them, like. Maybe next time, think about if you need to like dial it in a little bit more. Like Maybe you got lucky, but maybe you need to plan it. Like, was your shelter overbuilt? Were you hot in your sleeping bag at night? These things can be avoided and then you can save weight and you can have a more pleasant experience. Or on the flip side, you can make sure to bring that extra puffy because it's going to be cold at night. You know, So, right. uh, yeah, so that's a little bit of that.
3: Yeah, you know, now that you mentioned that, because it is it is kind of harder than you might think if you're like, well, what can I expect for? the weather in this part of Virginia in April, if you're, if you don't live there, like it's harder than you might think to kind of figure that out. And if you go online, you're going to get a variety of answers. So that, that, that's really helpful. And we'll make sure to include that in the description. Hearing you talk about that has kind of reminded me of a question. And I don't know if I have an answer to this, but I kind of just want to throw it at you and see what you Let's make of do it. it. But, you know, I have some folks that I know, and one really good friend in particular who is through hikers, done different trails and big and outdoors. And he's like very fundamentally, um, like, I don't want to do a lot of research because it kind of takes away from the adventure and the magic and all of it. Like, and, and it's not that he's unsafe, but um, I do see some people leaning that um, that direction, right? Of um, I don't want to look at the pictures on Gut Hook. I don't want to look at the, I don't want to even look at stuff like that because I want it to just be this new brand new adventure. How do you feel about it? How, where's your position? Where do you fall on that?
1: Yeah, that's a that's an interesting sentiment. that I don't think I've ever. Run across articulated that way, I think. We're all probably on a spectrum of what level of preparedness we think is sufficient to be safe and comfortable, but not completely erasing the uniqueness of the first time that we're out there. um I, I, that, that's a great question, but I think like well, we have maps, right? And you probably did you use gut hook because if you knew the mileage to the next town, you know, like okay, well, you had something figured out. Um, I don't know. I, I think if that's how, if if you're playing it safe again, like I'm big on hiking your own hike, so. <laughs> if uh, you don't want to hop on youtube and check it out by all means don't i will definitely do it and i will get a ton <laughs> of joy from watching it on youtube and i will still be ecstatic <laughs> when i right. when i go over that pass uh in person um so, i'm,
3: I'm, the I'm yeah, in the same boat i'm the same boat i i can yeah. you know because because it's going to be different for your experience that's kind of my take on it is i want to be as prepared as possible to have a great experience and like even if I've looked at a photo of this view, you know, when I see it, it's going to look different and it's going to look different every day. People say that a lot about, you know, the Appalachian Trail, and I'm sure true for other trails is you could hike it multiple times and see different views, different vistas, different things, depending on the weather conditions. And it's a different trail kind of each time you do it. Yeah. So. I
1: don't think I've ever been to a Vista and been like, wow, you know what? The picture <laughs> really did it justice. Right, like, right. That's, that's never no the one... thing where I'm like, dang, you know what? Actually, that YouTube video you know, summoning Mount Rainier wasn't worth it. The, the video, the video nailed it, you know, or was close enough. I, I, so I don't think I've ever had that experience, but, uh, yeah, as long as you feel like you're being safe and, uh, that's how you want to play it, by all means, do your thing.
3: Amazing. Well, that is so great. Zach, I really appreciate you sharing all this, um, with us today. I've got to give you a hard time though, because you've been, you've been so kind with all this information. I got to give you a hard time about the cold soaking. So what, tell me more about this. Cause I, I usually kind of dive into stuff I'm interested in in the whole backpacking world. I've got no interest in this <laughs> cold soaking situation. What do, what do you eat? What is that like? Like, what what is that?
1: Ryan, how many nights have you cold soaked on trail? None. I don't think.
3: <laughs> I try not to.
1: Um, so i have cold soaked. But the truth is, my cold soaking has even degenerated into fur- and even further to just tossing out the Talenti cup and just eating, like, candy and snacks and just doing away with, like... Any cold soaking as well. So,
3: so maybe I have done cold soaking when I just eat candy and pop tarts. Maybe I'm already there. Okay. Yeah, I
1: mean, so cold soaking. Is, the truth is that I just get really tired, and I don't want to wait the 20 minutes for to get my stove out to get the water boiling to let the the food reconstitute um, is way too much work for me. Uh, with cold soaking, like usually I'm doing ramen and in, in something else, so I will. Like forty five minutes before I plan to camp, I'll just prep the cold soak kit, and then as soon as I pull up, before I like am even pitching my my tarp or blowing up my mattress, I'm I'm just eating dinner, and I'm usually voracious at that point. So <laughs> not having to wait those twenty minutes, like the twenty minutes just aren't worth the warp for me. <laughs> okay, um, all right. But yeah, I think I cold soaked like the first half of the PCT and then the sec the back end I I didn't even I just got sick of ramen and so I was just eating junk food, a lot of tortillas, mm-hmm. um you know, a lot of yeah, tortillas with salami and mayo and uh cheese, you know, Nutella, the, the the classics. Um but yeah, that and then it's just hard to get a really light cook kit. You can do it for sure. But a lot of them that, you know, are where it's easy to get the fuel and they're not finicky to deal with. We're talking 10 ounces without before fuel and before food. And that's just too much for me. So, See, so, you yeah, haven't quite convinced I, I, me,
3: but yeah. I'm thinking I'm thinking about trying it maybe once. Maybe. I think
1: here's probably actually what I would give an answer to someone who's like, this doesn't seem interesting. Um, I think what I would say, and this is definitely something I practice, is like go out on a shakedown hike try the hard thing and see if it's as hard as it seems, because usually you'll end up being like, Oh, actually this wasn't as miserable as I thought. And I've done this like with a frameless backpack with the tarp. I was like, I'm just going to kind of dive into it. And then I know I'm going to end up swimming. I'm not going to sink. And so I think don't commit to three months of cold soaking, but try it for two or three nights, especially maybe when it's a warm night and warm food, isn't going to do a lot for you. Uh, and then see if it's as as bad as it is. And if nothing else, then you got a pint of ice cream for free.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's, I think that's good advice. Maybe we'll, we'll make that the description of the show is like cold soaking. Not that bad. Um, (laughs) Maybe not. Well, <laughs> highly well, Zach, opinionated on this. <laughs> yeah, really, we're going to lose viewers from that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I really appreciate your time and, and your advice, and I really think that um, all you know, you've done such a great job of documenting your experiences, and it's just a plethora of information. So, you know, I would point just about anyone in your direction. Uh, can you remind folks of your website? as well.
1: Yeah, my my website is just relishhikes.com and my YouTube channel is the same and um yeah, my best documentation has been my most recent Sierra High Route attempt. So if if you want to go check out some some YouTube videos, see what the Sierra High Route looks like, um I got 3 of those up and nice. um, if I don't say so myself they're like half these
3: <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's all great content and just really useful information in general even if you're not particularly interested on any of the trails um, that Zach has done it's all just really great stuff so like I said we'll put that in the description and, and really encourage folks to, to check it out but I think that is all we have for today thanks so much Zach for joining us
1: hey it was a pleasure I'll see you guys on trail
3: take care how about that What a guy Zach is, I tell you. I knew that I was going to give him a hard time about some of the ultralight stuff, especially the cold soaking, but I did save it to the end. Still not sure I'm ready to try it just yet, but maybe I should just practice once or twice, uh, like Zach mentioned. Really great guest on the show today, and I'm really glad that Zach was able to spend time with us for this interview. I will say, I know that I mentioned it, um, his uh, website and YouTube, full of great information. I've used it uh, before on some of my own planning, even for different trails that he's not on. So I can't recommend enough uh, to check out that information he has out there on some of those trails that I didn't even know much about. And uh, his YouTube has some uh, really well-produced content as well. So really check out Zach's stuff if you want to learn more about some of those trails out west or just maybe ultralight backpacking or backpacking in general. All right. So with all of that being said and done, thanks everyone once again for embracing this new style of the show with some guest hosting going on. I still have a few other ideas that we want to try that may be a bit of a departure from the regular uh, interview with someone, and we may give those a try in the next couple of weeks, especially if I'm able to get out uh, on the trail itself and interview some folks that are pretty early on, I'd say, in their through hike attempts, whether that be in georgia north carolina tennessee and virginia so we hope you'll stick around for those and uh, hopefully there'll be some exciting uh, interviews to come from that so uh, we'll pass it over to steve now who's going to catch up with phoenix
0: thanks ryan but just before we get on with katie i've got a couple of things to say first off of course is you I think you're doing a terrific job. And in fact, my girlfriend Dana said last week after she heard your first episode, she said, well, I think you found your replacement on The Mighty Blue Show. So she's ripped me off already. But no, I think you bring something that I don't bring to the show. And while I'm editing your interviews, I'm genuinely interested. And I thought that Zach was another great guest. So well done. Another thing I wanted to say was, once again, I'm humbled by the kind words I've heard from listeners and the fact that you believe enough in our network that you've continued to donate to the show. This week I want to thank monthly donors Lisa Rana, Erskine Bass, Brian Helton Jr., Terry Hackler, Mike DiCello and Jenny Grunke. You've all stuck with us and I really can't thank you enough. Finally today, before I chat with Phoenix, I thought that I'd put out a call for a few of you who might like to join me on a virtual walk for a good charity. Many of you know that I'm involved with a charity called Parenting Matters, a non-profit in Bradenton, Sarasota in Florida, that offers parenting education within our local community. In fact, the organisation is so impactful that we've started the Parenting Matters podcast. I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Anyway, the virtual walk is a fundraiser called 10,000 Steps for 10,000 Families. That's what we're trying to reach, 10,000 Families. Basically, the gig is to walk 10,000 Steps which is only about five miles, between May the 17th and May the 27th. Not every day, in <laughs> total. And I want you to join my team, Mighty Blues Tramley. Between us, we can really make a difference. I've added that link to the show notes. When you click on it, it will take you to the page for our walk and you can join the Mighty Blue team. I hope to see some of you there. But now, let's have a catch up with Phoenix. When we left her last, she was at the NOC and she was planning her first full week on the trail hoping to get to Gatlinburg halfway through the Smokies by today. Let's see how she did. Here's Phoenix. So, we're back on with Katie. How are you, Katie? Hi, Steve.
2: I'm doing well.
0: Good. And the last time we spoke, you were on the verge of your first, I guess, full week of hiking without any interruptions. I believe you were at the NOC, and I think that I guess that your goal for the week was... To get somewhere near Gatlinburg, it's now Wednesday afternoon. Where are you?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, I'm in Gatlinburg. It worked. So, <laughs> the system yeah, worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah,
2: yeah. So we're halfway through the Smokies. I'm I'm feeling pretty good. We've had uh, there's been some long days. Uh, we managed to miss the cold weather so far in the Smokies. So oh, that really? was the wise choice. Yep. Wow. So, yeah. You know.
0: You know what? The, I, I've had. I've been in the Smokies actually three times, but I've been in the Smokies twice when I was doing through hikes, obviously. And I found it to be um, so lovely the first half, but the second half was snowy both times. So I hope you're mm-hmm. not going to get snow oh. this time. So, um, <laughs> so we
2: did going back out of when we climbed out of when it- out of noc that yeah. was a a long day and it, the high was 34 and we did have a, a couple of days at the shelters where uh it was in the teens so wow. we, we we did have some pretty cold weather there yeah that is, so, that is
0: pretty fresh isn't it it really is
2: oh it'll suck the life out of you you
0: mentioned the long day then so what do you think of that walk out of uh, the noc
2: uh, it was tough. Yeah, <laughs> it was really tough. So, came out of NOC, going to Locust Grove Gap uh, campsite. It was a, 10 and a half mile hike in thirty four degrees. Yeah, uh, I took yeah. a nice fall coming down into. Uh, I'm not sure which. I one think of you. The yeah, you told gap. me on the
0: text uh, it was the car Gap. So, <laughs> so tell us. So tell yeah, us about that because yeah, you've got to get your first one out of the way, haven't you? So tell us about oh, that fall. My God.
2: Well, it was kind of funny. I was hoping somebody had seen it, but <laughs> no. But I'm just walking almost to the gap and uh, walking along, and I'm seeing all this mud, and I'm thinking, wow, somebody has to be really careful here. <laughs> <laughs> so, and there I went. First, it was like all in slow motion to my knees and just face plant right in the <laughs> mud with the backpack weighing down on me? Oh gosh. I, I just you know you always do this kind of self analysis. Uh, everything okay. <laughs>
0: so, yeah, you know I what? there's nothing fun. else you can do. I think I think listeners know that you know when I used to fall, I used to just make sure nothing was broken or just you know just try right. try moving and then I just shouted out the number of the fall. I got up to forty-five <laughs> or forty-six first time, and oh forty-three second time. Uh, so you know you got plenty, plenty to go yet. How did you feel after that fall, though? Because you know, falling at the age we are isn't as easy as as it is falling at the age of twenty, is it?
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm aware that that uh, the right kind of fall could take me off the trail. So I'm, I really, it's strange that it would have happened. I mean, it was like there was nothing but mud, and I just. I'm walking, and I think what I did was try to, it was a steep de- uh, a descent, and Cheers, so there yeah. was a lot of momentum going, and <sighs> I mean, just as soon as I said to myself, wow, somebody has to be really careful here. <laughs> yeah. so, but, but the rock, what I have found, which surprised and it is, I think, a good thing, is that your body you start to adapt at how quickly you can say okay I have to put my foot there my foot there my foot there you know oh, yes. You, you, yes. you stop thinking about it but you just start knowing where to put your feet and I think sometimes it's the roots or just the flat ground that that will catch you up, yeah. up the rocks,
0: so Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I've referred to that many a time as a hiking rhythm. You get into the rhythm of where to plant your feet, where to plant your poles, almost, yes. a, almost yes. as an instinctive thing, and it kind of kind of works out. I know that I remember my, I think it was my first week back after I got injured, ooh, um, mm-hmm. back uh, in 2014, I did 100 miles, I think it was, in that first week, which was pretty good, you know, about 15 miles a day, 14, right. 14, 15 miles a day. <laughs> And I remember coming to the end of that first week thinking, oh my God, I've done a week without a fall. I was 20 (laughs) yards or 200 yards maybe from the end of that day. And I bloody fell over there. It was ridiculous. So you, you, you hit one or two of the early highlights, haven't you? You know, you've got, the, the balls and Staccoa Gap, and then that long oh, walk yeah. down into Fontana Dam, then past Fontana Dam yeah. across the bridge into the Smokies, and the climb up to Molly's Ridge, and then you even went to Cleanman's Dome. So, tell us about some yeah. of those things. But did you uh, what, did you stay at Fontana Dam Hilton, or did you go into the lodge?
2: I I stayed at uh, the Hike in
0: Oh, right. Sweet
2: little, sweet little um, hostel there with Nancy, uh, Nancy Hawk, I think is her name, Mm -hmm. but they, very nice. They did all our clothes, did wash clothes, took us in for resupply. So it was really, really pleasant. And then on Easter, uh, climbed into uh, from uh, North Carolina 28 uh, up to Molly's Ridge Shelter, which was a 13 mile day.
0: All right. Uh, Yeah.
2: I have a little note here. Eat the pain meds for breakfast,
0: <laughs> <laughs> definitely two for breakfast, two for lunch
2: <laughs> that's right that's right. but it was a beautiful sunny day, and just oh my gosh, you know the views and oh, one of the things I love so much are the uh these old I call them grandmother trees. they're these ancient trees sure. covered in moss yes. and just. So beautiful. So, yeah, you know, it's – I won't deny the Smokies and climbing up into the Smokies is difficult. It's a very – you know, it, it's strenuous. I, it
0: is strenuous, yeah. but I, I actually think it's quite intimidating walking across the top of the reservoir as you see the Smokies kind of – they look like they're by the minute in front of you, don't they? Like, <laughs> it's kind of, in, kind of intimidating. So then you have got that. You've actually got – as you turn off the road – Away from the reservoir, you think, "Well, I'll be in the Smokies in a minute." It's mm-hmm. quite a long path up or walk up the road before you actually turn it, yes, onto the mountain, is. isn't it?
2: Yes, yes, it is. And, and you're thinking, "Wow, <laughs> when are we going to get there?" That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but yeah, finally got off that road, and then you just start really climbing.
0: Yes, so, yeah, it's different, isn't it? So, wh- how was the weather? So, in those first three days, is it three days you're in the Smokies?
2: So the days. So in the Smokies the weather's been gorgeous. Lovely. But just prior to that prior to that we we were in the teens with the highs in the yeah. 30s. So, yeah. so that was that was rough. So but I could you know the Smokies has been like in the 50s and 60s lows in the 30s you know all just beautiful. Now we are supposed to get some rain coming in tomorrow. But it's going to be more – the weather's still going to be warm. So, so um, uh, right now I'm thinking probably in three or four days to be at Standing Indian – Standing Bear – I don't know what it's called, the hostel. I'm
0: gonna be standing the yeah, going to be out of the Smokies. Yeah. Going to
2: be out of the Smokies <laughs> in three to four days.
0: Standing Bear will be, uh, a, be a bit of a cultural wake-up call for you, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have a blast i think it's one of the great places it's it's an absolute not do not miss place and you've actually well, that's
2: al- what i heard yeah
0: absolutely and you've actually already passed the high point of the whole trail clingman's dome what do you think of it right what, what do you think of that
2: well i you know i've been there before right. so you know i used to take my family camping in the smokies so i have been there before um you know the mountain part. All of that's wonderful. The yes. the tower—that's a little bit touristy to me. But but I but the mountains, the spruce forests, just oh, the, the, it's like <laughs> I don't know a Christmas tree.
0: Yes, that <laughs> the, walk that walk up. That, that, when... that,
2: sma- that just the scent of of the evergreens was amazing.
0: And it's quite. Don't you think it's quite? From my memory, it's quite deep and dark and dank down there isn't it
2: yes yes it's it's like some kind of wonderland that's yeah. like you know uh, like it's not, it's almost ethereal, not real. Yeah, uh,
0: I, I i was remember thinking as I was walking up there thinking, if I'm ever going to get mugged by a bear, it's going to be now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it, it looks, looks like the sort of place a bear would come and get you, wouldn't it really? <laughs> yeah,
2: well, that's going to be the high point for me is if I get to see a bear. I've seen them a few times, uh, one in the Smokies years ago and one in uh, Shenandoah but yeah that was pretty of fun it you
0: know what it's pretty special it really is and you know I, oh, I, yeah. you know don't rush it because it's going to happen to you i mean even though we only saw <laughs> one in 2019 but that was in shandar you you'll yeah. you'll see it and 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 when you yeah. see it you you realize the contrast between how beautiful and alive and sleek they are compared to the yeah. you know you go to a zoo and you see a bear a black bear looks brown in a zoo you know it just doesn't look healthy right. to me so seeing them in the wild is yeah. just amazing and so once you get yeah. to clingmans i know there's a down then an up to oh another shelter i can't remember its name now um
2: uh let's see oh i can't remember yeah, so don't,
0: don't matter It's it's um, Molly Collins or something Collins. Oh, Molly's Ridge Shelter. No, no, Molly's Ridge is the no, 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 Molly's Ridge is the first one. one. Molly uh, Mount Collins is the last one before Newfound Gap. I think. Right. Um,
2: And that's where I stayed last night. Was Mount Collins? Oh right.
0: So you had quite a short walk into Newfoundland Gap this morning, didn't you?
2: Exactly. Yeah, because we were. You know, there was talk of rain, and I thought, well. I'd rather do the short day yeah. in the rain. Yeah, than good the move. Long yeah. long day in the rain. So, yeah, so I went from uh, Derek Knob uh, to Mount Collins shelter and then had a short, short walk out.
0: And was it busy um, at Newfound Gap? Because I, I, I know there was a great atmosphere oh, there. We had, we had trial magic yeah. there and it was just a great place to be. So, what was it like for you yeah. this, uh, yesterday or this morning?
2: So, so we did did get Trail Magic at um uh, I think it was called Indian Gap. Oh yeah. Something like that. Indian Gap it's the gap before Newfound Gap. Uh, but uh spring break is on evidently. <laughs> <laughs> so Newfound Gap was packed.
0: Oh gosh. Uh, yeah.
2: What's interesting, they have flushing toilets at Newfoundland Gap, oh L- you. Are, uh, <laughs> woohoo.
0: Lucky <laughs> you, yeah. so you went down to New yeah. Van Gap, you're, in, into, you're from New Van Gap into Gatlinburg. Um, what are your plans for the coming yes. for the coming week? Then you're going to get out uh, to a Standing Indian for next three, so, in about next three days, I guess. What oh, after yeah. that?
2: Well, um, I'm looking. I have my eye on uh, hot springs. <laughs> so, oh wow! But there's looks like there there looks like there's some pretty good climbs. You know, uh, my understanding is when you're out of the Smokies. Don't fool yourself because there's still some really that <laughs> whole big section, you know. There's, uh, you know, going up Snowbird Mountain and then.
0: Oh yeah, um, Max, t- Max Patch. Max Patch is beautiful. You're gonna you're gonna I love really it. You know. See, yeah, yeah, it's gonna I be really great. I really
2: want to see Max Patch. I'm yeah. Very excited about that. So, and I stayed my first shelter.
0: Was, oh, did you? Remember, I told you I would. Yes,
2: I've got some things. Remember, I told you that I probably wouldn't stay in the shelter. Well, I did. Wow. To save, it was to save me some time and, oh. um, you know, how was that? How sure was that, that fun was, experience? Uh, I like my tent.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Quite right, too.
2: (laughs) Let's just say I sleep better in my tent. Yeah,
0: of course you do. And you just said about when people say, you know, you're out in the Smokies. Yeah, don't don't fool yourself. The climbs are still there. It's a bit like when people say, when you get out of Pennsylvania, you know, all the rocks are over. They're not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> They're just not. They carry on into New New Jersey and into New York. So don't don't fool yeah. yourself on any of that either. Well, look, you're yeah. in good spirits, which is always good. Um people have written to yeah. me saying what how nice it is to hear hear you in such great spirits as well. So everybody's listening oh. listening and and watching out for yeah. you. So I hope it goes well, and uh, we'll catch up next week. Okay. All right, Steve.
2: Thanks a bunch.
0: Cheers, then. Bye.
2: Okay. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs>
0: So, she made it to Gatlinburg. Good to hear her in such good spirits, isn't it? And thanks again to those of you who've written to me to wish Katie well. She's such a positive soul and realistic about what she's taken on. It is way too early, of course, to say that she's going to do it, but she sure has the right mindset. So that's it for today. Thanks again to Ryan for his interview, and I know that you're going to enjoy what he's got coming up in the next few months. I'm going to be back on with Katie next week, and then I'll be doing my once-a-month show the week after. Ryan, I'll see you next week.